Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for this opportunity to meet this morning. I pray that you will speak through me and uh, allow hearts to be softened. And I pray that um, you will bless our time this morning. <clears throat> we just thank you for all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been here before, you're probably wondering, who is this guy up on stage? Um, I know many of you know who I am. I'm John Sampson. I'm the executive director and an elder here at Central. Um, and I don't get up here very often. Um, but that's okay. Um, I think we'll have a, a good message. Uh, and also with Pastor Ryan being gone, he's getting some time, good R&R with his family. But he'll be back next week, God willing, with a brand new sermon series called Unexpected, the Story of Joseph. And that's from the Old Testament. So that's exciting. So um, we're finishing up, therefore, our I'm a Work in Progress series today, which has been a chance for us to explore how we can lean on God uh, as we grow in our faith. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. Uh, you can open your uh, Bible app or look at our central app on your phone, or you can just watch on screen. So um, today's topic is pretty personal for me. Uh, it's something I've struggled with um, throughout my entire life. And um, to be honest, I probably should have just brought up a mirror, full-length mirror, set it right in front of myself and just talked to myself the entire time. But I figured, oh, well, you guys might have some issues with this as well. So I thought I'd just leave the mirror at home. Um, but I want to open by talking about this guy. Uh, that's the devil. Uh, you should know that. But uh, he also has a variety of different names. Uh, he goes by uh, Lucifer, the Prince of Darkness, the Serpent, Beelzebub, the Antichrist, the Father of Lies, the Enemy, the Deceiver, the Tempter, the Destroyer, or just simply Satan. Now, contrary to that uh, cartoon, he is not quite as harmless as you may believe. In fact, he's very real and he's very dangerous. And the reason I want to talk about him today is because of his origin story. Um, not many people may know this, so I thought I would just jump into this. It's found in um, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. But before I go there, I just want to kind of a little backstory and say it himself. Uh, he began as Lucifer, which uh, means bearer of light or morning star. And so that was referring to, referred to him as a uh, his former splendor as uh, one of the greatest angels in heaven. So let's jump in Ezekiel here. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald. Topaz, onyx, and jasper. Lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and you, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated the sanctuaries. 
Did you happen to catch what caused Satan to be driven out of heaven? Ezekiel 28, 17 gives us the reason. It said, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Ron Rhodes from the Reasoning from the Scriptures website gives us, gives us this insight. He says, Lucifer became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. This pride represents the actual beginning of sin in the universe. I also found a really powerful quote from 20th century theologian C.S. Lewis. He said this, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So these two quotes really help us to understand the gravity and severity of the sin of pride. And because Lucifer became proud and defiant to God, we see that his true nature was, in fact, selfishness and pride. And when we are filled with pride, our focus isn't on ourselves anymore. It's not on others either. And it's definitely not on God. So I've titled today's message, The Perils of Pride. So like I said before, pride has been a bit of an issue for me since I was a kid. And it's not because um, I was put on any pedestal by anybody or especially my parents, although my mom might have called me handsome a time or two, but, you know, that's any kid. But I, I think what it boils down to me is when I was in middle school, um, I really struggled with friends. I was chasing popularity, so I was trying to be with a popular group, and I was really kind of discarding anybody else that was around me. And so in my chase for popularity, I was left with nobody because they wanted nothing to do with me. And so I had this big sense of I wanted to belong, and I wanted to be liked. And we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later on. So as we look at pride, we kind of need to kind of flesh out what it really is. There's a difference between the kind of pride that God hates, which we see in Proverbs 8.13. It says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And there's the kind of pride that we can feel about a job well done. And that's from Galatians 6.4, which says, to fear the Lord, I'm sorry, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Or there's also the kind we can express over the accomplishment of loved ones, which 2 Corinthians 7.4 says, I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. So the kind of pride that stems from self-righteousness, selfishness, or conceit is pride, however. And God hates it. Why? Because this kind of pride is a roadblock to us seeking him. So let's take to our first point. It's this. Pride is giving ourselves the credit 
for something that God has accomplished. Pride is giving ourselves the credit for something that God has accomplished. Pride is taking the glory that belongs to God alone and keeping it to ourselves. Pride is essentially self-worship. In Michael Mangus' book, Signature Sins, there are, he talks about two different types of pride. The first and most obvious kind of pride is outward pride. This form of pride leads us to feel superior to others so that we can satisfy a deep sense of longing for significance. When we see outward pride, we see things like vanity, arrogance, snobbery, irreverence, disobedience, and impenitence, which impenitence means an unwillingness to recognize our own sin or that we've wronged another person. Now, the second and lesser known kind of pride is inward pride. And this is where we get secret pride that leads a person to uh, be obsessed with the way others think about them or how they might perceive that person. Secret pride is most difficult to detect and defeat. And it's because a lot of times most people can't see our sins of inward pride because they're really easy to hide. So it's really critical for someone who struggles with inward pride to confess it once they recognize it. So the things we may see when it comes to inward pride are distrust, rejecting God's will in favor of our own. Perfectionism, where we suspect that God really, uh, his will won't be accomplished if we make a mistake in our life. <clears throat> Sentimentality. This is where we substitute righteous emotion, pomp, or beauty, rather than having this private reverence or obedience to God. Presumption. This is where we're placing extra reliance on ourselves versus God. A presumptuous person believes that God will forgive them no matter what. And they don't really make any effort or attempt in their life to be obedient. So as we go through this inward pride thing here, you're looking at me. This is what I struggle with. Okay, so now that we're talk, we're clear what pride is, let's go back to myself. What is this? I'm talking about pride. That seems very selfish. Anyway, um, when I was in my 20s, I became a believer. And so when I became a believer, my pride actually got worse. And that's because for me, um, I tended to judge other people that didn't believe the same way I did. I tended to um, look down on others because I felt self-righteous. I separated myself from other people um, because maybe I feared that if I spent too much time with them or I was corrupted by them, I might lose my salvation. So in essence, I really became legalistic. And in being legalistic means that you really are depending on uh, moral law or man's ideas about um, what it is to be religious versus really depending on God's grace and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And truth be told, I, even though I was really on fire for God, I became a bad example of what a Christian should look like. My brother and sister who aren't believers, and at that time, they really could barely stand to be around me because I did fit that stereotypical self-righteous Christian. So as I've shared a little bit about inward pride, outward pride, some of the examples of those, 
Have you felt any kind of sting of conviction as you listen to that? Is it kind of dug into your heart a little bit? Because I, I hope it has. I hope it has because that's really the first step to overcoming pride. Now, Satan is really sneaky and deceptive. And he does work with pride in a way that a lot of times we don't even really recognize it's become a problem in our lives. So that's my next point. Satan poisons our lives with pride one drop at a time. Satan poisons our life with pride one drop at a time. He recognizes that if he can fill our hearts with pride, other sins tend to fall in place after that. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, through, 5, 8 through 9, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him in standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the devil is prowling around trying to devour us. But, you know, the encouraging thing about that verse is that last line. It talks about the family believers going to the same thing we are. And I think that's a big part of pride is that if we recognize we have pride, we don't have to think that we're alone in that. We can trust and, and lean on other people during that time. You know, another really underhanded scheme that Satan uses is that he'll feed off of our sin nature when things are going really well for us. You know, usually we think about all of our struggles we have when things are crashing down around us. But when we're doing things really well and things are going really smooth for us in our lives, we tend to think, oh yeah, this is going really well. Things are right where I want them. And you kind of tend to maybe feel like you're in control because of that. And you feel maybe less reliant on God as well. And so that's, that's Satan. He's, he's using that against us even when things are going well. And so that's why you always need to be alert and of sober mind. Because we never know when Satan will seek to devour us. So as I was prepped for this message, I came across a really good article on desiringgod.org, which talked about seven subtle symptoms of pride. And so let's go through this. And before we do that, first, I want you to understand that um, we all need to be kind of searching our hearts to see if these are issues we deal with. But the first one is fault-finding. Fault-finding. And this is the tendency to ignore the faults and sins in our own lives, but quickly point out those in others. We can easily fall prey to the comparison game in this issue of fault-finding. As we witness other people's sins and failures and, and fallings, we might say things like, hey, at least I'm not like him. Or, well, I might have some problems, but they're not as bad as his. So that's fault-finding. Number two is a harsh spirit. A harsh spirit. So this is the tendency to speak of others' sins with irritation or frustration or contempt, belittling their struggles. And a lot of times we'll do this to mask our own sins through self-righteousness and arrogance. Number three is superficiality. Superficiality. And this is our tendency to focus more on the attention of other people's perception of us. And so when we're like this, we'll tend to really fight hard for those potential outward sins, but then we'll justify our hidden pride. And if we don't confess our sins to trusted believers, they tend to multiply. And eventually, even our hidden sins will be exposed. Number four is defensiveness. 
This is the tendency to be defensive when challenged or rebuked instead of taking a hard look at the pride lurking in our hearts. Number five is presumption before God. We talked a lot about this a little bit earlier. We were talking about inward pride. But this is where we tend to feel invincible. We might feel immune from God's judgment because we really don't understand the power of God. But really, this can also flip to the point where we feel a lack of confidence in God's ability to forgive our sins because we feel like our sins are bigger and more difficult to overcome than we actually do trust in his grace. And so we tend to maybe doubt the power of Christ's sacrifice for us. Number six is desperation for attention. Desperation for attention. This is the tendency to hunger for attention, respect, and worship in all of its forms. This appears also as an insatiable desire to have the best things, whether it's the best spouse or best house or car or job title. Because for us, we're really focusing more on the glory of men than we are of God. So this is me. You know, we talked about my problem with inward pride, but this is the most specific part of it. Desperation for attention. It probably goes back again to my middle school years. And it's it's manifested itself throughout the, my time since then. But I found a really good parallel to this when I was watching the TV show The Office. And Michael, quote, or Michael Scott had this quote. He said, Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised, <laughs> Michael Scott. So, you know, but I, I feel that. I, I really do. Um, I tend to be a people pleaser. I might say yes to things I don't really have time for or margin for because I don't want to let somebody down. I tend to feed on affirmation, which in its, of itself isn't a bad thing. But if I'm not affirmed for something I feel like I deserve to be affirmed for, that tends to leave me in kind of a bad place. I'm not sure if you know this, but um, I'm a graphic designer by trade. And so I still actually get to use that as my job here at church. And I'm thankful for that. Um, but sometimes I feel like maybe I put a little too much stock in what other people think about my graphics or my videos. And so um, that's a struggle for me. But here's the real kicker. I have zero control of other people's opinions of me. Nothing I can do or say will change what they think about me. I might as well just be beating my head against the wall if I'm trying to control what people think about me. So if you're struggling with something like that, like I do, I want you to think about this. We should focus our attention on God's authentic, unconditional love for us. Because then we will see value in ourselves through him, not other people. And as you focus on that, you can reflect that to those around you. Because if you can love other people around you unconditionally, you've done all you can do. There's nothing else that can change their mind. So you can have peace with that. All right, my final point is neglecting others. This is the tendency to honor those who we see as powerful or important while passing over those we may perceive as weak, inconvenient, unattractive, or poor. And that's probably because if we feel like we can hitch ourselves to someone who we see as valuable or important, that'll help carry us to the next level as well. Whereas if we 
associate with those who maybe we view as less than, we don't see them having that much to offer us. Okay, so if the outward pride or inward pride definitions haven't got your attention, what about these symptoms I just shared? Did any of those stick to you a little bit? Or have you ever had a time when someone may have had the courage to call you out for one of these these issues in your life? And if they did, did you get defensive? So we see that pride's a big deal. And, you know, the Bible does have a lot to say about pride, and I really don't have time to share everything the, the Bible has to say about it. But one verse I came across several times as I was prepping to this was Proverbs sixteen eighteen, And this said, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And I really like what the message paraphrase says about this. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. So what we need to understand with this is that pride will have a fall. Whether it's through our own recognition of it and repentance or through God's judgment. We need to understand too that people can't judge pride, but God can and he will because he hates it. Proud people are most frequently proud and insolent right before they crash. In the New Testament, I found a really good parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And this is where Jesus is talking about the religious leaders. And he says this, he says, Some who are confident in their own righteousness, religious leaders, and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other a tax collector one of the most despised sinners of the time. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, (laughs) I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, the man, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, when we think about Jesus' parables, so many times they're very cryptic. They're hard to understand. The disciples had to go back and ask him afterwards, what did that mean? Not in this one. This one, he went straight to the heart of the matter. Pride. And it's amazing how the religious, or the followers at that time would have been just shocked. Because they, they put those religious leaders on a pedestal themselves. They probably even feared them as well. And so for them to hear that that, that humble sinner was exalted over the tax or the uh, Pharisees would have been just a complete shock to them. And like these religious leaders, sometimes pride can get in the way of, of people becoming followers of Christ and, and accepting his, his grace. Admitting sin and acknowledging that in our own strength, we can do nothing to inherit an eternal life is a constant stumbling block 
They're prideful people. So one important element from that last passage that we need to remember is the final part. It says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So remember that from Proverbs 16, 18. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The humble will be exalted. So if we're understanding we have pride in our lives, how do we deal with this? That's my next point. Humility is the antidote to pride. Humility is the antidote to pride. So remember how I mentioned earlier that Satan seeks to poison us with pride. How do you treat poisoning? If you uh, get bit by a rattlesnake, you go to the hospital, what do they give you? An antidote. You get an antidote. So while humility can feel like weakness, it's not. Humility is often viewed as being less than. While humility asks us to consider others before ourselves, it's not thinking of ourselves less than others. It's not thinking that others might be more godly or, or nicer or kinder or more intelligent or better looking or more skilled. It's when we consider others' interests before our own, thinking about what's best for them and acting on it. And really, if you think about it, humility in its purest form is love. And Jesus explained this to his, his disciples in John 15, 9 through 12. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. And when he says command, it's, it's serious business. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. My next point is this. While pride divides, humility unites. While pride divides, humility unites. Because in pride, we have selfishness and self-absorption. We are just thinking about ourselves, and so it's, divis- it's divisive to others around us. But when we have humility, we're thinking about others. We're helping others. We're serving others. We're uniting. So let's take a quick second here to define what humility is. The dictionary says this. It's, it's freedom from pride or arrogance, the state of being humble. And so if we're going to define humble, we'll say this. Not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. So in that definition, we see this. Humility is the exact opposite of pride. So therefore, humility is the antidote to pride. Humility isn't weakness. But if we're prideful, it'll feel like weakness. It's not weakness because if we are depending on God for everything, we're tapping into his strength. And his strength is greater than ours. We didn't really need to acknowledge this, that we can't accomplish anything in our lives with, if it's not possible because of God sustaining and enabling us. You know, and the Apostle Paul had a really good example to share with the, the people of Philippi in Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. He was talking about imitating Christ. He says this in verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love... If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, pride, or conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves. There's that humility. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. We just touched on this in John 15. Love each other. Continuing in verse 5, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, Today, we're in church because we follow Jesus, right? We're Christians, right? And so like Trevor said last week, we're little Christ. We should therefore be trying to imitate Jesus in all of our lives. Now, obviously, we're not perfect like Jesus was. And so we can try to strive to be like him, though. So that's our goal is to imitate Christ. He humbled himself by not seeing himself as equal to God. Which he could have easily because he is God. But Jesus humbled himself by serving. He served people in many ways, even going as far as washing his disciples' feet. And his ultimate act of humility was obedience to death on the cross. So back to verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's go back to that parable of the tax collector real quick. It said there as well, the humble will be exalted. Which is exactly what God did with Jesus. Because Jesus was humble. God gave him the name above every name. So that every knee would bow and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord. But as a quick sidebar, I want you to understand this too. We shouldn't live our lives trying to be humble so we can be exalted. Because then that just turns us right back to pride all over again. So then, if we see humility as the answer to pride, how then do we humble ourselves? Well, I've got five strategies i found that will be helpful. But before we get to those, I want to just remind you that reading your Bible on a regular basis will help you in your humility as well. Because as you read the Bible, you become more engaged with God's will for you in your life. And you also understand how small you are in view of God and that how much of a sinner you are as well. So let's look at number one, it's thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thankfulness stops pride from growing. You know, and we definitely need to be thanking those around us, those who are pouring in our lives and encouraging us and helping us. But we also really need to thank God for those people too because he's put them in our lives to work through us. And if you're struggling with thankfulness, just think of one thing every day. Think of one thing. There's so many things we can be thankful for. We can be thankful if we actually woke up to start the day. We were able to walk and get out of our bed. We had food in our pantry or our fridge. You know, we have a roof over our head. 
We have a car to get to, to, to our, where we need to go. We have so many things. We have our friends and we have family. We have our church family here. So many things we can be thankful for. So in that constant act of thanksgiving, our relationship with God will be nurtured. God-centered thankfulness helps us grow in humility, and it stops pride from growing. When we're thankful, we acknowledge that we're not the center of the universe. God is. All right, number two is this. Confess your sins regularly. Confess your sins regularly. Confession can be a great reality check as it reminds us who we are compared to God. You know, the cross was sufficient for all of our sins, and we've been completely forgiven because of that. And it's at the cross that we understand most clearly that we are sinners. But on the flip side, we're also deeply loved by God. When we confess, we gain a deeper appreciation of that grace, what we've been saved for. We see ourselves as God sees us. And God gives us that peace and security, and therefore the freedom to grow in humility. <clears throat> Bear with me in this next one. It's going to be really, really hard to hear. Number three is accept humiliations. I told you. Humiliation can be really, really painful. But here's the thing. It's most painful when we're full of pride. Eating that humble pie is really, really hard to do. But it helps us to become more humble. You know, and if we think about imitating Christ, he was humiliated quite a bit. Whether it's from the religious leaders at his trial or even just on the cross. That was an extreme act of humiliation. Now, to be clarifying here quick, humiliation does not equal abuse. So abuse is a completely different part of this. And so don't see that as what this is. But we all fall and we all um, will take pretty hard tumbles sometimes. And accepting the humiliation without being defensive, that's the key, can really help us to be more humble. Because anytime we get knocked down a notch or two, uh, it's, it's a, a big reality check for us to understand that we maybe need to look a little pride in our lives. So, all right, number four is this. Don't worry about status. Don't worry about status. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, if we try to connect ourselves with people or objects to elevate ourselves, it's just building that, that tower of pride like we saw in the intro video. And so don't try to elevate yourself. Elevate others. Serve people. Number five is this. Listen to others. Listen to others. Listening to others shows that we're willing to learn from them. And they could be anyone from a child to an adult, from a non-Christian to a Christian, all walks of life. Because when we're listened to, we feel loved. When we listen to others, it's a sign of us showing them love and respect and acknowledging that we can learn from them. It's also recognition that God in his sovereignty and goodness has put that person in your life. When we listen to them, we're... we're it's a sign of love, of wisdom, and it shows that we're teachable, which is really a great way to become humble. Now, humility is definitely one of those easier said than done things in our lives. Why? Because it's not our base nature. Our sin nature is the opposite of humility. That's where our pride you know, comes from. We've been dealing with 
with pride all of our life. And so humility takes a lot of effort. We've got to remind ourselves daily, hourly, minute by minute, to insert humility into our lives, whether it's our words or actions or relationships. Plus, we need to pray to God, asking him to work in us and to put pride aside, but practice humility. So as we pray, we remember this is my next point. God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. So as we strive to let go of our pride, we got to remember to let God lead. The more we more remember who God is and what he's done for us and how much he loves us, the more we can submit to his will and his life for us in our lives and stop trying to run ahead of him. Because pride is really us trying to take control of our own lives. Things that we know more that God does. We don't trust his plans or his, his grace or his mercy. So ultimately we'll just run ahead of him rather than walking with him. And as I mentioned earlier, pride has kept many people from following Christ. But I want to talk to you here today who maybe aren't completely on board with God right now. Maybe you were invited by a friend or a family member. Or maybe you're just kicking the tires in this whole faith thing. But I want to ask you something. Is pride holding you back from making a decision for Christ? Is pride holding you back? If you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about unconditional love from God, about Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for our sins so we can be with him in forever. So could pride really be the reason that you're reluctant to let go of that control in your lives? But I want you to understand this. God's plans for your lives, way better than yours. Way better. So if the Spirit's moved in your heart today, I want you to find someone to talk to it about. I want you to share that and, and, and open up and be willing to be transparent and, and accountable on that issue. Because trusting God with your eternity is really the best decision you'll ever make. So let's summarize here. Pride is a very destructive sin. And it affects us all in some way, shape, or form. And humility is how we battle it. Pride must be broken because it can't sit on the throne that belongs to Christ alone. Pride brings opposition to our lives because of our selfishness, which opposes God. However, humility brings help. When we humble ourselves before God and others, God will help us. God will help us overcome pride when we fully trust him and understand that he's in control and we are not. So as we close, I want to just spend a couple minutes in reflection. I've got this slide that we want to look at here. The first is a question. What area in my life has been poisoned by pride? And if, if still nothing's coming to mind, I want you to think about this verse in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If there are is there any grievous way in me? Lead me in the way everlasting. The second thing I want us to reflect on is if we do understand and accept that we do have pride in our lives, I want you to pray this prayer. God, forgive me for my pride. Please help me to understand fully who you are and help me to trust you completely so that I may be humble before you and others.